We're all about turning a crappy situation into something positive. A quarter million dollars of credit card debt. I still remember the day when no one turned up. Throw it in the garbage and start from scratch. I could give myself a chance, so I started something. I mean, I think that counts as from poop to gold. (laughs) Our sponsor for this episode is our 14-day video script challenge. Yes, we are sponsoring our own show. Yes, we are. (laughs) Welcome back to From Poop to Gold. I'm your co-host, Benton Crane. Today I'm joined by a very special guest. I have here with me Roberto Blake. Welcome, Roberto. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So Roberto is a certified YouTube educator and he is a public speaker and an online business coach. So he brings a ton of interesting knowledge and background to the table. We're excited to dive in, get a little bit of his story and some of his insights. So let's start there, Roberto. Mm -hmm. How did you end up where you're at today? Well, I mean, it depends on uh, where you want to start. I mean, do we want to start with uh, how I grew up? Do we want to start with when I was a broke college student? Uh, or do we want to start with YouTube? Where do you want to begin? If you could identify kind of a what I would call a pivotal moment mm-hmm. in your life that kind of set you on the course to be here today. And mm. if that pivotal moment was college, let's go there. If that pivotal moment was childhood, let's go there. I think it was when I was at a crossroads in my uh, my corporate life and my corporate career. Okay. But I was also, for many years, had been struggling with uh, depression. Um, and I'd been struggling with depression like since college. Okay. Um, I had bouts of what I don't think you could call depression in my teenage years and high school, um, even with the bullying and other things. And, um, you know, unfortunately back then I was even like suicidal. I was a little emo back then, but it was a legitimate problem. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a lot of issues going on. I had, uh, some anger management issues because of situations and circumstances with my life. Um, things going on with, um, my sister was in the process of, um, you know, being identified as having a chronic illness. She was um, in and out of the hospital. I was sad, angry, confused, and frustrated with that. Um, she got a not great diagnosis, but thankfully she's fine and she's still alive today. And, oh, you know, they didn't think she'd make it uh, past high school. And my, my little sister, um, in many ways, I consider her to be one of my best friends, if not my best friend. Um, she's one of the only people who knows my full story and has been with me the far majority of my life, you know? So that was rough. Um, and yeah, that, uh, when when somebody that close to you, yeah. when when their life is essentially in jeopardy, yep. that weighs on you in mm-hmm. undescribable ways. Yeah. It, 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 talk, talk us through a little bit of like, what is the feeling going on behind the scenes as you're living that? Mostly in my case, a lot of fear and anger. And it's never, you never know which day you're going to feel more. The soul crushing weight of all the anxiety and waiting for the other shoe to drop mm-hmm. or angry and frustrated at the world, you know, angry, angry at God. <laughs> like yep. there's a lot there and then when you already feel your life is hard enough and difficult enough you're like how else am i going to be tested what did i do it was a constant question no one had anything for me but platitudes you know and that was that best case scenario Mm -hmm. other than that people were giving me crap because of uh what they wanted or their expectations uh the school system was kind of fighting with me because interestingly i was exceeding in my grades but i was being penalized in my grades despite performance for not always showing up to school or participation or this or that because I couldn't always be in school with all Mm -hmm. this stuff that was going on. And there was a lot of other stuff too on top of that. And then there was a point where I was just getting bullied so bad that I started cutting class. I could get 
straight like A's on every, I could outscore, and I did many times, everybody in the school on all the exams and still fail the class because I was being docked on participation mm -hmm. and attendance. And it, I was getting bullied so bad that also sometimes I would skip class, not to be one of the cool kids, I would skip class and I would just hide in the school and cry because life was just that bad and I just it's, wanted to disappear. Just a dark, dark time. Yeah. But I had a couple of really good friends who got me through it that I wouldn't be here today without, you know? So like, that's a real thing. Having the right people in your life is, I think one of the most important things that's taken for granted. And it's why I'm so glad that we live in an age of the internet where not everyone has to be isolated. If you don't have people in your life, like physically that you mm -hmm. can like put hands on yep. that can like give you a hug, you have people who might be able to emotionally support you because they get it and they don't share the same you know, um, city or state or even country with you, but they share your values and they share your experience and they can help you with your burdens. And so it's an um, opportunity for connection. It's so powerful beyond what we can do for business or for, you know, um, having a message just for feeling heard mm -hmm. and supported. Um, I think it's probably kept people from a lot of loneliness and isolation and saved people's lives. Um, it was one of the only things I looked forward to besides like I dreaded going to school aside from seeing a few people. Um, and there were a couple of teachers that I really always look forward to seeing and learning from that could get me excited. But other than that, um, I was just in a lot of pain and I was mm -hmm. always just like waking up and I'm like, oh, signing up for more pain, resigned to my suffering. Um, and I didn't really know how to process that between like fear and anger and everything else. And when you're a kid, all your emotions are heightened. Mm -hmm. um, and I just couldn't wait to get out one way or another. Um, and so college, I thought was going to be in many ways, this like chance to start over in this bastion of freedom. And in some ways it was, and it was a different experience. But then um, this funny thing about being poor sometimes is no one ever likes to self-identify as poor, mm -hmm. or at least that was true in my my time. Like I graduated high school in 2002. Okay. So I'm 35 years old. I'm an old millennial back when they used to call it like Gen Y. And yep, yep. like, so I'm like, um, so I'm like right at that edge, right between um, like um, Gen Y and Gen X, right? Uh -huh. So, um, you know, it was a different time in 2002. Um, the internet was a different place. The world was a different place. And when you come to the realization that, you know, and you already know from, in my, in my case, I already knew and was privy to the financials like of my household, you know, after my parents' divorce and all kinds of things and with three younger siblings and then the debt from all the hospital bills, I understood what the, the, the deal was. And I started like working at a young age and not because, oh, I want to buy a car or, or any of that stuff. I've always, you know, um, you know, hustled and, you know, mowed lawn side gigs, mm -hmm. like my whole like life and childhood. And sometimes back when things were better, that was, oh yeah, I got to save money. And I was like a fiscally uh, disciplined mm -hmm. like kid. And like, but I was also, I like, I had this weird uh, business when I was uh, nine years old. I don't think I've talked about it a lot. Uh, so when I was nine years old. We actually lived in Atlanta for about uh, three years. My um, my dad was a Marine. He was stationed at the base. Um, I think it was Dobbins Air Force Base. Um, and so when I was nine, we lived in an apartment complex. It was the first time we lived outside the military base, aside from whenever we lived in New York. And um, it's funny. So at the front of the apartment complex, you had you know the dumpster where everybody throws their chairs. It's like this big old dumpster and trash compactor thing, right? Um, we lived in the back of the apartment complex in the neighborhood. 
And so, like, all the neighbors and everybody used to put their uh, trash bags, like, in the back of their trunk or car, smelling it up. You got stuff leaking. It's like, mm-hmm. it's not a great it's situation. It's gross to get to the thing. And I came up with this brilliant idea where I would take my bike, put the trash bags on the handlebars of my bike, and I would ride the uh, bags to the dumpster, and I would charge my neighbors by the bag. Okay. And then... I was like, I got my friends in on because I realized I can only do so many of this so many times um, out of the like the day or on the weekend. It's like, but with more bikes, we can more do more, more bags, right? And so I set up um, a business around it and I set up a schedule and rotation. So I started a waste management company at nine years old. <laughs> and awesome. then we would on the weekends take the money and I would like pay out everybody. But I would also then take a lot of my earnings and I would throw pizza parties and we would throw pizza parties in my yard. And like that was um, like one of my first businesses as a kid. Like Gary Vee had his franchise at Lemonade Stands. I had my waste management company. I love it. Yeah, so, But I say that to say that I've always thought entrepreneurially and I've always thought about money, but like in high school and college, I had to think about it in a very different way mm-hmm. because um, unlike friends who were having fun or buying their first cars, I had to help you know with my family's finances and situation. I had everything was serious for me. Stakes were higher for me. Yep. So it's not just a personal need, but now it's a family need. Exactly. And my so. family needs exactly. me. I've got to step up. You know, I've always like had that kind of mindset and it's where when in my message and why I tell people that like, hey, if you start an online business, you do YouTube, whatever, understand that this is an opportunity to get some financial freedom or to be able to provide for your family in a different way and where you might have a little bit more control if you do it the right way. Mm-hmm. And that's very serious for me because I know what it's like to struggle. Like I know what it's like. I mean, I have a six figure business now, a multiple six figure business, but like I came when I like everyone likes to say they came from nothing, I I take that message very seriously in a real way. I can tell you what it's like to like look in the driveway and see like not you know like see like and then you know your mom's crying, you're seeing the car get towed away, and you're like you know what happened. Mm-hmm. You know I know what that's like. I know what it's like to see something turned off because a bill didn't get paid. I know what it's like to walk into a pawn shop and walk out crying because you got to pay a bill. Like that's something real, and I know that many people around the world, many Americans are going through a hard time financially right time right now and for me as long ago as that was it's still fresh in my mind that those scars that pain that sticks with you like you think about that you always have a little bit of a pit in your stomach of like would you what would happen if you ever had to go back to that but like for me it's like i'm smarter and far wiser and have been far more experienced and I've lived through and taken my punches, taken my lumps, taken my battle scars to where it's like that kind of thing doesn't scare me as much as I think it does other people to start over because I know I'd be starting from a place that makes me far more powerful than the majority of people that are going through it right now. Right. Right. I've noticed in, in, in I, you know, I have four kids and my kids are growing up in, in relative abundance. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think back to, my childhood of having to scrap and hustle and grind and go without. Yeah. And and those moments were so key to making me who I am. Exactly. That it scares me that my kids don't get those same opportunities. You know, without, but the thing is, transcending suffering is important. And, you know, they're, um, in Eastern philosophy, they have a saying that calls like, that says, uh, suffering advances the soul. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's interesting, but I do also think there's a part of it that that's just a way of trying to uh, make peace with your pain, which I understand, um, but I don't always completely agree with that because I want you to move past pain and transform it into purpose Mm -hmm. is part of like what I try to tell people. 
And what I would say in, in your situation, because I know when I have kids one day, you know, um, God willing, uh, please, 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 uh, the, but I need a girlfriend first. <laughs> but, uh, but the um, step by step, step by step, day by day, day by day. Like, anyway, um, 90s kid. Uh, but what I would, what I would say, you know, not being a parent, but just being somebody who had it was a, you know, a kid with a rough thing. I would say I think about that a lot. And what I've thought of for the future that you might want to take away from is you can find other ways to challenge your your kids and make them understand and value and earn things without it being um, from a place of necessity. Mm-hmm. You can still challenge them and um, you know put the right healthy amount of pressure on them because I think that there is a such thing as you know you can be somebody that comes from what you could argue is a privileged background, but you could still have a chip on your shoulder about not wanting to be in the shadow of your parents or not wanting to be soft. Mm -hmm. And I think that just being challenged and having challenges put in front of you and having discipline and a work ethic and saying, yes, you, all your needs are taken care of, but that's no reason not to work hard, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think you just have to put some, some conditions in place of like, I want to challenge you because I'd never want to, it's my job to prepare you in case the world changes because it probably will. Yep. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. So let's go back to your story. So, absolutely. So, um, so we've got, we've got a little picture of of the background and I I think we're kind of starting to see a vision of kind of this, um, the, this dark time that, that you went through that kind of became this, uh, this pivotal point in your life. Talk mm-hmm. to us about how that set you on a course to get you to where you're at today. Well, well again, I had to, in my own way, um, hit rock bottom mm-hmm. and my version of it was, um, going deeper and deeper into the well of my depression mm-hmm. of, um, I kept striving, I kept working and nothing ever seemed like it was enough. Um, I went through college. Um, I went to community college um, because with my grades, with the school situation, I got a few partial scholarships. I got a few opportunities. um, And then there was stuff because of my track and field um, because I was a track and cross country champion. Um, Shout out to Coach Mike Lawrence. Uh, You saved my life. You gave me more discipline than anybody else. You gave me, um, you know, a way to channel my rage. You gave me a way to turn pain into purpose, and I can't thank you enough. Um, you made me a champion, not just in the track, but in life. Um, I so, love it. yeah. Um, wow, I did not think that was going to happen. Um, so, um, what happened with me is I was getting to a point where suicidal ideation was part of my daily routine. That's not a good place. It's not a fun place. Nope. To be. That's not a because. The way I was rationalizing it, which is part of why depression is so sinister, is from your point of view when you're depressed, leaving your suffering behind by any means necessary, escaping your pain is a completely rational choice from your point of view when you're going through that. And then whatever you have to do to create that situation becomes more palatable. It doesn't feel like insanity. It feels like if you're showing up every day to be tortured, not showing up starts to seem very reasonable Mm -hmm. and that's a dark thought and it's not anything healthy that i would ever glorify or advocate but i'm making it painfully clear to anybody that if if somebody tells you that they're going depression going through depression and i know that sometimes people don't know what depression is consider the possibility that it's real for them and then try to just offer them any comfort that you can and give them a reason to wake up tomorrow if you're in a position to do that because it actually helps 
Yeah, it's th- this is real stuff. This yeah. this is um this is something that that's impacted my family in a in, in a very real way. And and so I love I love the the advice that you're sharing around. And it becomes important because what happened that changed my life was I reached a crossroads where I said to myself, if you can't fix your mindset, if you can't fix your mind, you're going to die. And that's a scary sobering. It's like, no, it's like if you keep going down this route, Roberto, you're going to die. And it's like before your time, before you've accomplished truly anything meaningful, before you've, you know, helped anybody in a significant way, you're going to die. And that's very sobering. And I asked myself, what can I do? What Like, I don't want to die. I just want to stop suffering. What can I do? And so I started talking to myself and saying, okay, I had to change my self-talk. And I was like going through it. I was like, what is causing you so much suffering and pain? And I was like, well, it's these circumstances. It's what I'm going through. It's not having enough money. It's not having control over my life. It's not liking, you know, I love what I do. I don't like the circumstances. I don't like not having autonomy and freedom and control over this. I don't like what, you know, sometimes my ideas being taken from me or not getting, um, you know, my due for it. I, I like not being compensated. I didn't like um, some of the bullying at work. I didn't like, there was a lot of things going on. I was at the peak of my career and I was unhappy, wildly unhappy. And I realized that's like, I could have a day off and I could get a phone call and whatever plans I had were completely forfeit. That's not control over my life. I could be asleep, get a call, have to wake up and go in. That's not control over my life. I was like, I have no control over anything in my life. And that was causing me tremendous pain. I also didn't have the financial ability to help people, friends, family that were going through things. I couldn't do anything but offer the same platitudes that were that meant mm-hmm. very little to me. And so that meant I had no power. I had no ability to act on the behalf of anyone else. I didn't have the ability in my mind to be an active participant in my own life. I was a passenger in a vehicle and I just wanted to jump out or run the thing off the road. And that's what life felt like. And I'm like, I need control. I need a vehicle that takes me to a destination that I actually want to be on because I'm on a road that's nothing but pain and it ends in a very bad place. And so that metaphor, like, I was like, okay, pull over, stop, get out of this vehicle, let's take a walk. And so I asked myself, what could I do every single day for the rest of my life? And let's assume that it's a thousand years and not feel like it's suffering. What would you do? I was like, so I played a game with myself. I was like, okay, pretend you're a genie or pretend you're like, you know, a trickster God. And like, you're now getting ready to like grant yourself a wish. Now out, outwit the trickster and get exactly what you want out of life. Figure out what you can say, what wish you're going to have granted. And I was like, I just want to create awesome things and put them out into the world and share them. And I just want to teach other people that they could do that because creativity is the only thing that I keep coming back to. And the ability to create and make things is the only thing that really makes me happy. I never feel happier than when I'm drawing, writing, taking a photo, editing a video, 
doing Photoshop, like these are the only things that really give me any peace. And I feel like I'm in control because when I'm a creator, I'm tapping into the power of creation. It's I'm tapping into that inner divinity, that godlike power that all mm -hmm. of us have that we were granted is the ability to create something, to turn our thoughts into things. That's the power of creation. You know, like I don't like and without getting super, you know, philosophical and like, you know, like that power of creation exists in every single one of us in humanity. And that's our inner divinity that we don't take for, like we take it for granted. It's it's a tremendous gift. We have the power of transformation. What other creature on this planet has that? Right. And that's our power. Like that's our that's what connects us to the universe. Like so for me, that's everything to me. And I imagine yeah. most people have had at least a moment in their life where they're in that kind of state of flow, where they're they're yeah. in their 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 zone, their moment, their their passion. And it's almost always around yeah. creating. Yes. Right? Yeah, exactly. And so um, when I came to that realization, I realized that it's like everything I do is in the service of that gift. And I want other people to tap into that gift. And I want to realize my potential that I always want to see how far I can go. My natural curiosity, I would always learn things. I would always read a book cover to cover. I'm insatiable in regard to my desire for knowledge because when I was a kid, that quote, knowledge is power, always stuck with me. And then the Mortal Kombat quote, there is no knowledge that is not power. Like, so for me, that was, I took that literally as a mantra and as a, a part of my philosophy in life. And so I always wanted to acquire new skills. I always wanted to acquire new knowledge. I always wanted to learn from people older than me. I had a hard time relating to people my own age because they didn't have, um, selfishly, they didn't have as much to offer me beyond, you know, the emotional value mm -hmm. relationship. But like in terms of knowledge and experience, most people my own age didn't have enough to teach me. And therefore, as unfair as it might seem, I felt like they had lesser value and so I always sought the company of people who were older that lived life and could pass on knowledge and cheat codes to me because yep. I wanted to excel. And so that's always why I was a misfit and I didn't like, among other things, and I didn't fit in is I was also the artsy, like eclectic, like crazy kid. And so like, so I had this moment, this rock bottom moment of realizing this is my truth. This is my why. And that's where I came up with my philosophy, create something awesome today. Because I was like every day, for the next thousand years, like creating something every day for the next thousand years. And I got happy all of a sudden. I was like, that's what I was like. So I was like, so I can change my life. Like, all right, you have this thing. Let's keep going down this thread, Roberto. How does this change your circumstances? What can you do? What are you trying to change? I was like, I need control. Creation's power for me is also the ability to control what I create. I'm creating things in my job every day, but I don't have control and I don't have freedom and I don't have autonomy. It's like, can you change that? I was like, maybe. And I was like, okay, let's stick with maybe that's something that's optimistic, right? So like I started thinking about, you need to change your ability to control what you create. You need control over your time. You need control over your energy. You need control over your ideas. You need control over your finances. Our word is control. You can take control back over your life because somehow it was forfeited. Somehow yeah, this, you gave it to other things and other people. This is a really big deal for, for creatives. Like we deal all the time with comedians and writers and filmmakers and I've observed that for so many of them in their life they feel like they're stuck between two really crappy choices mm. of like I either have to be this starving artist yep or I have to go like sell out and go into like corporate America and mm. and take a soul-sucking job in a cubicle or something and um and when a creative 
is able to get past those two crappy options and get the control that they need to, like you said, they have, they're able to make a living, have the financial stability that they can then control what they work on. They can control the creative that, that they're yeah. building and it's life changing. Yeah. That's the greatest blessing. That's the greatest gift. And that's why my title is creative entrepreneur, because that's the future and it's the future of the 21st century economy for a lot of people. And I think like it's the cure to starving artist syndrome is like starving artist syndrome is a mindset and it's a disease and I'm the cure. <laughs> like, so like, you know, uh, a little facetiously, but like, I feel that way because, um, I found a way forward. And it was rooted in making daily actions aligned to the ambition of taking back that control and um, taking my pain and turning it into purpose and getting relentless about it and realizing the other thing is I want to control over my relationships. When you work for somebody else, you don't control who you're in a room with and it's very hard to control how you're treated and you can be taken advantage of, you can be abused, you can be demeaned, devalued, belittled. And I realized that if I can't control who I'm in a room with, what I can do is I can change the standard of how people treat me and it took some risk, but it's I was going to change the standard of how people treat me by first starting with the standard of my self-talk and how I treat myself, but then offering consequences for how I'm treated. So in general, with just changing my standards, like, and realizing that I began my plan to like exit, you know, um, to going back to freelancing mm -hmm. and then later, um, that would free up me uh, mentally and then I'd be able to, and then I did eventually start my online business, built out my personal brand, um, used my deep knowledge of a corporate background, not only in design, web design, graphic design, um, and agency work, but also the years I spent as a social media uh, manager, doing Google AdWords, being Google AdWords certified, um, working within the corporate appliance, I absorbed all the knowledge, even from people I didn't like. There is no knowledge that is not power, whether it's how to build a business, how not to build a business, how to treat people, how not to treat people. I absorbed everything and I used and deployed all of it. But now I was doing it in service of myself instead of being part of the appliance and now I could retain all the value and I could do with it what I wanted. So let's so let's take that, let's fast forward a little bit to yeah. what you've built today. Yeah. Tell us about what it looks like now. So now I get to create awesome things and share them with the world and I also get to teach other people how to do the same thing and I've been doing that for a number of years and today I get to do it through, I do stuff free online with the YouTube and with the Create Something Awesome Today podcast. Um, I have a YouTube channel, I have multiple YouTube channels now. Um, was able to grow an audience of 400,000 uh, plus subscribers on YouTube, which is mind blowing for me. I thought with my personality and the experiences I had in high school and college and in corporate, I never imagined that thousands of people, tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people would resonate with me, my message, what I'm trying to do, or would want to learn the things that I know. Um, I, I, like it's very humbling and I'm very grateful. Um, and it's overwhelming a lot of times. I still am very surprised when people come up to me and tell me, Roberto, I started a career in graphic design because of you, Roberto. I got a job awesome. as a social media marketer because of you. I'm the first person in my family to be able to make a decent salary and to have and not do manual labor. Um, I'm the first person in my family to take our inherited creative ability. And I'm a professional photographer, Roberto, and I got started. I picked up a camera because of you. Like, I cry when people tell me that. There was a kid at a conference, I think it was, um, I think it was uh, two vid summits ago. I think it was two vid summits ago. There was a kid who uh, I was at um, a Gary V's keynote. Mm -hmm. He, I thought he was trying to go uh, talk to Gary, so I was trying to get out of his way. Turns out he wanted to come up to me. And he told me, thank you so much for your videos. They completely changed my life. 
and then I was like, and the thing is, it was a point where I was like feeling a little, um, a little off that day. I'm wondering like about the impact of what I do because I was in a little bit of the meta game of like comparing myself at the moment like to other people. Something mm. I desperately tell creatives to avoid, but it's a, it's hard. And uh, you see so many people crushing it, doing this, doing that. And I was like wondering about the impact. It's like, does anyone really care what I mm-hmm. like? To, and so this kid comes up to me. And I'm like, oh, great. You know, he's probably gonna tell me he got a good job or and like, or they just started his channel or whatever. So I was like, how did I asked him? And now I ask everybody this question. It's like, how have my videos helped you? And then he pauses for a moment. He's like, I was unemployed for like six months and I was feeling like a loser. I was like, oh, cool. He got a good job. He's like, I started feeling better. He's like, he's like, and now I have a six figure business and I'm a job creator. Wow. And then I literally started crying. Because like I'm tearing up right now thinking about it. like mm-hmm. the fact that I could have an impact and have that ability to transform in some small way somebody's life was just amazing. And I was like, this is why I get up in the morning. Yeah. And like, wow, what if I decided not to be here? How many people would I have missed out on impacting and giving value to? And like, I made a difference. I mattered. Like, yeah. And if I almost, that's not purpose, what yeah, is, right? I almost cheated myself out of my purpose and my potential and the promise of that by getting overwhelmed by my emotions and my circumstances and my pain and not realizing it was temporary and that I could transform and that's I could incredible. transcend. Yeah. That's incredible. What a story. Roberto, what's the best way for our listeners to follow you? I, I, I want them to be able to experience you. Yeah. So you can um, follow me on YouTube at youtube.com slash robertoblake2. Um, and you can also listen to the Create Something Awesome Today podcast, uh, which is on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, and Spotify now as well. Uh, so basically everywhere podcasts can be found. I'm really proud of that uh, that show and that podcast. And um, it's been one of like, it's been really challenging because I, I wanted to get the audio perfect. It was like the biggest struggle in YouTube for me was always never being satisfied with the audio. And now I'm like, yes, I'm like, I nailed it. So that, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. The, and that's, um, that, that's something that in doing our own podcast, we've we've gone through the the rounds of trying to trying to get the balance between controlling everything and having perfect audio versus yeah. just shoot it and get it done like and, yeah let yeah. it ride yep actually in 2017 a lot of people don't realize that like because i was already doing consulting and you know helping um brands and doing things and also other entrepreneurs but i then started doing one-on-one coaching and mentorship and then i started a membership program and the reason that i did it like is because of my coach coach mike lawrence being on track and field I learned the power of camaraderie and support, but also structure and discipline. And like, I believe that's the foundation of what can make people successful, especially if you're a creative. If you're a creative, best thing in the world is a blank canvas. You know what the worst thing in the world is? A blank blank canvas canvas is this endless void of possibility stretching uh, out before you and you have and you don't know what to do with that. And that can be overwhelming and that can be terrifying. Freedom is great and scary. But a little bit of structure goes a long way, a little bit of guidance and help, and then a little bit of support, both uh, in terms of like the emotional support and then the support of sometimes resources or um, just encouragement, um, but also constructive criticism and feedback. And so in our in our writing process for our ads, we've discovered that creativity thrives under constraints. Yes. And so putting some constraints around the project, what, um, you know, sometimes the constraints can be timelines, sometimes the constraints can be budgets, whatever it is, but just having those constraints in place. Because it's a challenge and creativity craves a challenge. Like, I don't even think I've said that out loud. Your creativity craves a challenge. It demands it. And so um, 
I want to do that for people. I benefited from like, you know, that structure and that support. And so I started Awesome Creator Academy, which is really where a lot of my focus is right now is, you know, creating, um, you know, not only courses, but doing one on one coaching and creating resources, templates and things for uh, creative people, for for our peers, because um, there are things that I've experienced and things that um, I've benefited from them. Like if people knew this, it could change their business or if people knew this, they would think differently. Like one of the biggest challenges is I've been pushing um, our peers in YouTube to absolutely diversify their income because their anxiety and frustration with the platform and AdSense and like they've turned YouTube and they've turned uh, social media and being an influencer, they've relegated it. They've defended like, oh, because, you know, you get the criticism. It's mm -hmm. not a real job, but it's not supposed to be a real job. It's supposed to be better than that. Yep. But people have relegated it in their own life to being a job. I'm like, didn't you just try to escape that your last job? Why would you turn this into a job by relying on the platform for everything and then being frustrated? They've become beholden to the platform instead of using it as a vehicle and a tool. Yeah, it's it's amazing to see the people who built influence on YouTube, you know, back in the early YouTube days, but then didn't translate that into influence on other platforms as well. Mm -hmm. Most of those early YouTube creators have kind of gone the way of the dinosaurs if yeah. they didn't continue to evolve yeah. across platforms. And for some people, it was going to be, and it was a good thing for them to become part of the industry, and they've been able to have influence there by becoming part of but not all of them wanted that. A lot of them wanted to stay independent, and they mm -hmm. but they made a practical choice, which is perfectly fine. And that's where it becomes, you know, it's it's funny that there's a phrase, and I I like have mixed feelings about. It. There's a phrase called "grow up and sell out." Now I hate the word "sell out" because the thing is, sell out is about compromising your values and your beliefs. And I think that a lot of people get accused of being sellouts when it's like. No, you're accusing someone because you have a standard and you're holding them to that. Mm -hmm. Selling out would be about them betraying their standards, not the one you assume they should have. Yep. And so I don't like that's a good people, distinction. It is. And so like it's important. And I want to lean on that because like my criticism of people who give quote unquote valid criticism or call people sellouts or this or that is like it's like like, no, no one's obligated to do it for the culture. Everybody's obligated to do it for themselves and for their family and whatever lines in the stand, whatever their standard is. It's none of your business. That's right. It's none of your business. So like you you don't have valid you cannot have valid criticism if you don't have context on what somebody actually believes. And by the way, people are entitled to evolve and change and grow into right. different beliefs. Yeah. And like and I certainly did. I grew into um, a belief of I went back to my core of my childhood where I was happy and optimistic after many years of suffering through depression and anger and uh, cynicism and a little bit of nihilism like you know literally so to be angry at the world to be angry at God to transcend that to have nothing but gratitude is a, like why should I have been consistent in my beliefs when they weren't serving me and when they put me in a place of pain, no one's obliged to be consistent in their beliefs. You're a human being. You shouldn't be consistent to the detriment of real context and to the detriment of your growth and well-being and the positive things you can do in the world. I would rather you be wildly inconsistent by going from negative to positive and then people feel like you sold up and you stopped being part of the culture of mm -hmm. angry, cynical, bitter, you like you sold out on us. It's like, good, you sold out, you grew up and you grew into something better happy for you like if you want to use it. the word sellout like so like i think in the culture of youtube some people do need to grow up and i don't think it's the same thing as selling out to say you know what my value system changed with my circumstances and with perspective i think people change when they grow up and they have kids 
I think people change when they get into a serious relationship. I think people change when they change their tax bracket. <laughs> like, And I think that realistically, we're resistant to change in people that we form an emotional bond with as viewers sometimes, um, you know, or even just in life. But that's kind of unfair because we're putting an expectation that someone should stay where they are to make us comfortable instead of what's best for them and just being happy for them. That's right. Yeah. So like, you know, I think about that. So I'm trying to coach and mentor creators into uh, building a brand to last and taking their freedom and independence from the platforms into their own brand and becoming creative entrepreneurs and content creators instead of YouTuber, Snapchatter, yeah. Instagrammer, streamer. Take back your identity of a creator of a creator and then understand that this isn't a job where you're supposed to be taken care of. This is your responsibility to build something to last. And those platforms are just tools. They're just tools. They're just vehicles. They've made it a destination. You know what I hear today that makes me sad? People say, YouTube is my dream and being a YouTuber is my dream. And I'm like, that's an identity. What if YouTube dies? So your identity can, can be completely stripped of you because the platform dies or what if the platform rejects you or what if you don't make it on YouTube so your identity is forfeit. Identity is one of the most powerful concepts in the world. Uh, your, the, the, the name, the title, the moniker you, you take for yourself, it, it, it's a fundamental signal to the universe of what you are at a fundamental level. Like there's, some, there's a philosophy and a, an, a, an idea called naming. And so to name yourself is to choose and it's to choose what you are at a fundamental level and your actions and your destiny is guided by that. This is like the the core of personal branding that you're is. talking about, right? It is. It's the core of it and it's the core of like what like what I believe and that's like and so that's what that that freedom and choice and why I fight so much for the idea of individuality, critical thinking, and independent thought, mm -hmm. and why I'm very rogue, and why I've like always rooted myself in the idea of being a misfit, because I realized that to fit in is to, in many cases, to be mediocre, to have a standard, and to uh, sometimes to have to be an exile until you're not. Right. And the thing is, you can build the culture and the tribe that you want, and a place to belong, and you can offer other people belonging that are outliers the people like you, the misfits. And so like, I, that's what I believe in. And that's why I've built around my brand around is, um, and it's why I don't worry about going viral or go, cause that would be to be mainstream. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, of having the ability to appeal to a mass amount of people because that's value, right? So everything is predicated in value, but I choose my value based on what I truly believe sometimes to the detriment of what will be the most successful because I will be happier. I'll be happier sometimes at a smaller thing on my own terms because I value freedom yep. and I value the autonomy and I value the control and I'm willing to make sacrifices or make um, concessions to retain more control. And I try to teach creators, give up money in a brand deal for more creative control. For sure, for sure. And th that's the exact same thing at Harmon Brothers is that when we're, we're evaluating a potential client and doing a potential campaign, creative control is at the core of everything. And so our clients have to understand going in that they're coming to us and they're going to trust us creatively. And if that's a problem, then we need to know that up front because then it's not going to be a yeah. fit because that creative control is just, it's so essential. Absolutely. I think trust is everything. And it's like, you know, 
I don't want if like if working with me causes you anxiety, it's not a good fit. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm happy to turn down the money and to like spend time with somebody that I'm not trying to convince. Yep. I don't sell skeptics. I tell people it's like if you're if you're if you're cynical, if you're a skeptic, it's like I'll wait. I'll wait till you're not. <laughs> like I'll be I love it. when you're I not. I love that attitude. Yeah. When you're when you've had your, you know, your come to Jesus moment, when you've embraced optimism and positivity or where I've or when I have taken the responsibility to create the right context for you to understand what I actually am and you're ready, I'll be here. I'll be here. But until then, like I'm you're not ready and I'm not going to try to convince you. I love it. I love it. Uh, Roberto, do you have anything coming down the pipeline that you want to give a little sneak peek to our listeners? Actually, uh, actually I do. It's, uh, it's actually something really, really, uh, powerful. Um, so I'm working on some content and I'm also working on some training stuff over at awesome creator Academy. Um, you guys, if you want to visit that, it's awesomecreatoracademy.com. And, um, what I'm working on right now is the framework of giving the, the everybody the framework that I've been working on with my coaching clients that has produced my most successful coaching clients, you know, hundreds of thousands of uh, subscribers in YouTube. Um, it's something I've also been doing in my speaking engagements. And like, um, there was, um, there's a young woman that actually started her brand back up um, from nothing a year ago, less than a year ago, October of last year, um, Tosh Point Fro Eats. She uh, went from zero or close to zero in October of last year. She now has 100,000 on YouTube, um, 100,000 in TikTok, 100,000 Instagram around her eating mukbang uh, challenge videos. And then there's um, a young man, Skip, he just turned 18, Skip the tutorial. 140,000 um, in YouTube. He went to my um, speech at VidCon last year um, and he had zero subscribers, um, or was it 200? No, he had 200 subscribers. He's over 140,000 now around gaming. The thing everyone says is saturated because, again, he listened when I said you have to be different and you have to offer something unique in value and the value has to be clear. So the thing that I'm going to be teaching people both in my upcoming courses and also in my training and in my free YouTube content is the framework of what I call the video success system. And, um, you know, it's so powerful because like we said, structure and support, uh, there needs to be an understanding of if you're going to do YouTube or any of these social media platforms that revolve around video, knowing your audience, is the and knowing yourself is the foundation of everything and people refuse to focus on that they refuse to focus on who do i offer value to and how can i clarify that value and get it down to where it's a single idea and so um the beginning of it is getting people to focus on this specific idea then being able to write really good headlines you guys know better than anybody that writing a good headline copywriting is a skill you know um getting that right yep getting the thumbnail to tell the story and to create the curiosity and the intrigue and the impact. The new deal is people are scrolling. 80% mm -hmm. of traffic on YouTube is mobile now. So get designing thumbnails is different than it's ever been because now the goal is, I mean, 80% of YouTube's traffic is mobile. You have to be able to stop someone dead in a scroll now. Mm -hmm. So you have to design a thumbnail in a completely different way than we ever have. And so it's a lot of things like that. So it's like this 10 point um, outline. But the thing that no one talks about is you can do all the steps from every one of the YouTube educators. But what people are not being challenged on is how effectively did you do that one thing? Did you really harness and develop and polish this skill? Did you do it to check a box? You didn't give yourself a one to 10 rating on how well you executed. And so that is important. So like, you know, like 10 major steps and a 100 point um, grading scale is like what I think is a great framework for saying I can make and produce not only quality content, but clarify my ideas, create context 
and make this value and monetize it properly, which is, as you know, is the big conversation right now, mm-hmm. monetizing it properly. Thank you so much, Roberto, for joining us on the show today. It's been, it's been a pleasure to get to know you better, to get to know your backstory yeah. and, and to uncover your poop to gold journey in, in your life. Yeah, no, thanks for having me and thanks for making me cry. (laughs) (laughs) We've got a little gift for you. This is our book from Poop to Gold. Oh, great. So I'll have another copy so I can lend it out. Yeah, (laughs) There there you go. Because I I have my own. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. So make sure to like, share, and subscribe, and we'll see you on the next one. As entrepreneurs and small businesses, we all kind of reach that point where we know we've created something awesome and we want to share it with the world, right? Mm -hmm. And it's that very next step that can oftentimes be really intimidating or really scary, or you just don't know where to go next, right? And the beautiful thing about this 14-day script challenge is you get your hand held from, okay, you have this cool product, now let's go research and find the exact way to present it and message it to the world in a way that resonates and gets people excited and they're ready to swipe their credit card and purchase. And in the 14-day script challenge, you get the opportunity to go through that step-by-step with our writers who have done it dozens and dozens of times. You actually watch us go through each of the steps ourselves and create it with a real client, a real product, and um, it's a real campaign that's out there that's been very successful. That's right. And the feedback that we've had on this thing has just been phenomenal. I mean, we get comment after comment and emails flowing in from people all over the world who have just... Uh, raved about the impact that this has had on their business. People tell us over and people tell us over and over again. It is just a huge value punch for the investment for this 14-day script challenge, and and really gave them the tool set they needed to walk through it and make it happen. And we've had um, we've had dozens of students who have successfully taken the challenge, written their script, launched their ad campaigns, and driven success for their business. It's pretty amazing. For more information, go to hbros.co slash script.